0: Brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into sin, into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him.
1: Lord, we pray, um, hearing this parable, that we would be good soil, ready to receive the word that you have for us, and that we would bear much fruit. And I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome to St. Bart's, my name is Chris Myers. I'm one of the priests here. Uh, Our rector, Dave Larley, is uh, still on his sabbatical and he'll be back uh, toward the end of August. So continue to pray for him and Rachel and the boys as they um, are refreshing themselves and uh, enjoying their time uh, of sabbatical away. We are going to look at uh, Romans chapter eight today. This is like jumping to the end of a symphony. (laughs) Uh, to the swelling part where all the themes and everything come together uh, in a a beautiful piece of music. Uh, This is where Paul is pulling together everything that he's talked about in the rest of the letter. And we're going to be in this passage for the next couple of weeks um, because I want to reflect on our life in the Spirit, our life in the Holy Spirit. This chapter um, describes the incredible benefits of life in the Spirit. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is the one who moves us out of the age of death into the age of life, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The Spirit is the one who delivers us from slavery and fear and gives us freedom and adoption. And those are really big, grand themes. Um, But in this passage, everything begins with the mind or mindset um, as some translations have it the mind either set on the flesh or the mind set on the things the spirit the mindset of the flesh or the mindset of the spirit Um, that word mindset or mind um, it's a complex word it's a complex concept because it's not just our thoughts it expresses our basic orientation towards the world um the way that we think flows from who we are. And if we are of the flesh, then we think in the ways of the flesh. Um, A similar concept in psychology, you may have heard of uh, the work of Carol Dweck and her book Mindset, uh, where she talks about learning and how you can have two basic orientations towards learning and skills. And one is a fixed mindset, which is I'm basically this smart and I have this number of skills and that's it, it's a locked set of things and I can't really grow. And a growth mindset is actually, I can get better at things and I can orient myself in the world to learn and to grow and to receive. That's just a very simple example in the realm of psychology that our mindset shapes how we experience reality. Um, Do I go into a situation expecting things to happen or expecting that I can learn or to go into a situation with a mindset of fear. It's like if you saw a picture of someone on a roller coaster and they were frowning. <laughs> um, they've just decided that they're not going to have any fun at all. And I've been in that place, um, being a stubborn child sometimes, I just refuse to have fun because I'd set my mind <laughs> on not having fun because of whatever. And maybe you can experience, maybe you've experienced that as well. So the mind is about what preoccupies us, it's about our ambitions, it's about our drives, it's about the concerns that engross us. Our mindset is about how we spend our time and our energies, what we concentrate on and what we give ourselves to. And what Paul is saying, if you have a mind that's set on the flesh, then that's going to lead to death. But if you have a mind set on the spirit, that leads to life. And again, flesh is just one of those really complicated words. It's very complicated (laughs) doesn't mean our bodies it's not that our bodies are evil but it's that part of us that's fallen along with the rest of creation it's that part of us uh, that because of sin is not oriented by default towards god but oriented by default towards pleasing ourselves towards selfishness towards ambition towards pride and paul says that's the path of death slavery and fear The mindset of the flesh is the path of death, slavery, and fear, but the mindset of the spirit is life, freedom, and confidence, or security. So the question in this passage is, what is it that can change our mindset? If we have a fundamental orientation bent, if our concerns are towards ourselves and towards what we can get, and towards selfishness and pride, what is it that can change our orientation, our mindset? It's the spirit of God, but not just the spirit of God, it's the spirit of resurrection. I want you to look at verse 11 in your bulletin or your Bible if you have it. Paul says, this is one of those, like, if we really believed it, it would change everything sort of verses. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit of... The spirit of God is the spirit of resurrection. Not some other spirit, but the very spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead. He lives in you and he lives in me. He dwells in you, dwells in us. One commentator said we could really think of dwelling as being settled residence, that the spirit takes up settled residence within us. Settled because he's not moving out. He's there to stay, and I want to read this quote from him. However much we may need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit, however much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit, from the moment of conversion on, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within. This is from Douglas Moon, his commentary on on Romans, I wanted to quote it because it's, it's so important. It holds two things together that we have to hold together if we're gonna talk about the Spirit. The first is, is that when we receive Christ, we receive the Spirit of God, period. He takes up settled residence within us. We have the Spirit. We are children of God from that moment on. We are heirs, all the things that Paul goes on to say. But it is simultaneously also true that we need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit. As he says, however much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experience of God's Spirit, from that moment on, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within. It speaks to both sides of our relationship to the Spirit of God. There's an objective dimension to it. If we have been raised with Christ, we have God's Spirit, period, the end, settled residence within. But we also can have fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit. That's what Paul goes on to talk about, and we'll talk about later, is that the Spirit testifies within us. That's not a one-time thing. That's an ongoing reality that the Spirit of God speaks to us, reminding us of who we are. So this Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, is the Spirit of resurrection, who delivers us out of life, out of death into life, And the spirit of God is also the spirit of freedom. And the spirit of freedom is the spirit of adoption. What Paul ties together is two things that maybe we would not think go together. Is that it's the fact that we are children of God that we are free. Our freedom comes from our identity as children of God. So again, the spirit has both an objective and subjective dimension. We are really in Christ, we really belong to Him if we have put our faith in Him, even when we don't quite feel like it, and that's good news. Because we can go on, even when we don't feel it, and know that it's still true. That's good news sometimes, because we are often not feeling it. (laughs) I'm not feeling it today, God. (laughs) I'm not feeling it this week, this year, whatever. It's still true that He testifies within us that we are children of God. But then there's also those sweet moments where we do have the spirit well up within us and we have an assured sense of his presence with us and we know that we know that we know because the spirit is poured out in our hearts that we are children of God. That's freedom in our adoption. If I ask you to define what the opposite of fear is, you might not think of freedom, or you might not think of security, but that's exactly what Paul is talking about. The opposite of the fear of the flesh is the security of our identity as children of God. Objectively, we participate as children in the life of the church, which is a ministry of the Spirit. Ministry of the word is a ministry of the spirit. When the word is made alive to us in this context, it's not because of me or anybody who stands here, it's because the spirit makes things known to us. In baptism and at the table, when we encounter the living Christ, those are works of the spirit. And so too is the spirit crying within us, reminding us that we are indeed children of God. So I want you to hold that in mind, that the life in the spirit has this objective dimension, and it has a subjective dimension. And we can sort of lose one for the sake of the other, but we have to have both. We hold on to the objective part of it when we don't feel it. When we're standing next to someone who maybe is feeling it, but all we can do is really mumble our way through the liturgy, because we're not really believing it or feeling it that day. We are still then children of God if we put our faith in Christ. And so, too, in those moments when we are overwhelmed by the presence of God and His goodness and His blessings in us and He wells up within us, that, too, is the work of the Spirit, subjective, objective. And it's also a present reality and a future reality. It's present because we are children now. We are children of God. We're not going to be children of God. We are children of God. But there's a future dimension to it as well because we don't have the fullness of our inheritance yet. We're heirs. We haven't come into the fullness of our inheritance. That's what we're gonna talk about next week as the passage goes on. That God intends to do for his whole creation what he did for his son, which is to raise it up out of death and that we might enter into what he calls the glorious liberty of the sons of God We don't have that yet. But even now, the spirit seals our adoption for us, makes it real by taking up settled residence within us and then testifying to us that we truly are God's children. Here's another one of those verses. If we really believed it, it would change everything. (laughs) We did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You may have seen this in the news. I don't normally comment on things going on in the Anglican world because that would just be a full-time job. Don't Google it. That's what I tell people. How do I learn about Anglicanism? Don't Google it. Here's some books. Well, I Googled it. And a prominent bishop in the church of england recently remarked that we can no longer say the lord's prayer because it is problematic because we can't talk about the fatherhood of god because of people's negative experiences of absent and abusive fathers well he's not wrong that people experience absent and abusive and neglecting fathers but he is wrong to say that we can jettison the fatherhood of god because of our negative experience of that We're gonna hear from Stephen Murray in a little bit from Forerunner Ministries. Um, And his ministry is built around the fact of absent fathers and the devastating effects that has and how we can step into that as Christians. Paul says it's a gift to call God Father. It's a gift. It's God himself in us crying out that we get to say and understand that we don't just worship a distant deity but a Father who is with us and for us. And that's why Jesus tells us, when you pray, pray our Father. I don't know how you get around that one and be a bishop, but that's above my pay grade. We cry out to our Father, our Abba. And it's the Spirit's job, the ongoing role of the Spirit to show us and confer on us the goodness of the Father. James tells us that it's from the Father of lights that every good and perfect gift comes from. Part of growing in our faith is understanding that, receiving that, coming to be healed in our understanding and negative experiences maybe of fatherhood. This is the miracle of adoption. And I use that word advisedly. Our adoption, J.I. Packer says, is the greatest benefit of the gospel. It is the greatest benefit of the gospel that we are children of God. Everything else is a means to that end. We are justified so that we might be made children of God. We are glorified so that we might come to look more and more and more like our dear brother, the risen Christ. Being part of the family of God is the dearest blessing of our faith. It is a miracle that slaves can become sons and daughters. That is the hope of our faith in Christ. It is a miracle that the fearful can become confident, that the fearful can become free. Adoption, again, means that we are truly now children now, confirmed by the testimony of the Spirit who enacts and seals our adoption and testifies to us that we are God's children. But we are also heirs of something that is to come, It's not here yet. But there's a security that comes from knowing that you have an inheritance. There's a security that comes from knowing that you have an inheritance. You can act in accordance with the reality that God's going to give you everything he has. It's what the father says to the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Everything I have is yours. That's true now. It's true in its coming fullness. It means that God has not withheld anything good from us. And how do we know that? Because he's not withheld his very self. Who is it that dwells within us? God. God. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, as Paul says, dwells within us. So being an heir of that provides security now. It provides a freedom of spirit. It's a freedom that comes from a settled understanding of our identity as, in Christ as sons and daughters. And that because of that inheritance, we can act boldly, not recklessly, but boldly. We can move to, towards the world with confidence, knowing that we have good news to share. And part of our adoption is that Christ becomes our brother. He, we are co-heirs with him. And this is how Paul ends our passage for today. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we all, may also be glorified with him. To be a co-heir means also to be a co-sufferer and co-glory. So this, all this stuff, this crescendo of the symphony can feel like it's all the way up here, but then Paul brings it right back down to real life you're gonna suffer he's a realist we heard it three weeks ago Jesus said I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves as I said then I'll say again now the miracle of the gospel is that wolves can become sheep but the only way that that can happen is if sheep move towards the wolves and testify of the shepherd only when we move towards the world and say you too can be children of God That's the hope and the glory of the gospel. I'll close with this quote that I came across um, in a book called Interior Freedom. And this writer says, sums up the truth, I think, of this passage. What does it mean that the spirit takes settled residence within us? It means this. It means that someone lovingly and mercifully has entered into the mystery of your humanity, not as a spectator, not as a judge, but as someone who loves you, who offers himself to you, who espouses you to free you, save you, and heal you, to stay with you forever, loving you, loving you. Espouses you to free you. We are married, we are the bride of Christ, married to Christ so that we might experience his freedom his salvation, and his healing. That's what the Spirit can bring. And that's what the Spirit does. We've got the rest of the passage open before us next week. But I just want to close with that thought. That maybe we're in that place where the best that we have is the objective side of the Spirit. I know that I've put my faith in Christ, I just don't feel it right now. Well, let the body surround you and pray with you and for you and on your behalf. But we also pray that we would have that testimony, the testimony of the Spirit within us, that we are children of God. Let's pray. Holy Father, um, we do pray to you as a good father. We don't always see it. We don't always experience it. We do confess, Lord, that maybe we've had negative experiences of fatherhood but it's your spirit that testifies to us and within us that we truly are your children. And I pray, Lord, uh, that even now, that testimony would well up within us as a sign of your goodness, as a sign of your love, as a sign of your determination, Lord, to free us, to save us, and to heal us. We acknowledge that that is the journey of a lifetime, that you tell us to walk in your spirit And we don't always do it. So we confess, Lord. And we ask for the strength and the confidence to walk in your spirit. And we ask this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.